0: Hi, and welcome to Reality Check, a special edition on the eve of the Democratic Presidential Public Education Forum 2020, Equity and Justice for All. don't get me started about what that means this is Jeannie Allen and I am so happy to have with me as my co-host today Michael Musanti he is a longtime colleague friend and leader in the fight for educational equity and choice for kids Michael how are you
1: I'm angry Jeannie (laughs)
0: <laughs> You're angry. Why are you angry? I just invited you to help me co host a show.
1: Indeed, but you asked me for a reason. And the term equity and justice for all, except for the hundreds of thousands of uh, individuals, and especially those in Pennsylvania who were not invited to take part in this wonderful debate that the unions put together for the Democratic candidates, uh, they are forced to stay outside. Uh, gonna be the, cold in the designated zone for free speech uh but they have no ability to have that free speech inside the david lawrence convention center
0: yeah so it seems to me i totally uh feel your anger and um i will meet you there and uh what do you call it in poker and, mm-hmm.
1: and double I'll,
0: I'll meet you and double the I'll, anger I'll it, yeah. public education 2020 public education last time i looked was supposed to be the education of the public Like, was there like some grand plan in the Constitution where there was a system? I think people actually think public education was supposed to be like districts, and that's the way it should always be.
1: Right, that there was a superintendent. I think in article (laughs) there was a superintendent and then an assistant superintendent.
0: After free speech. And then each
1: assistant superintendent was awarded at least two personal assistants. a car with the county symbol of the school district on the side and then you know thomas jefferson worked from there and they had cell phones in it too even though it was 1776 right yeah in 1787 the constitution was
0: created which most people don't know because they go to traditional public schools where they don't believe in teaching the founding of the constitution You're not god, permitted. god not permitted forbid you actually understand the free speech and actually maybe if they understood free speech more our friends in the educational choice movement wouldn't be standing outside in the cold on saturday but let's talk about saturday so december 14th is um someday they chose they always tend to do this um, near the holidays because they they figure nobody else is really going to respond we have spent many a holiday thanksgiving easter 4th of july chasing the unions and others who are calling charter schools anti-public discriminatory they spend so much money meanwhile they are lesser funded better performing serving more minorities more at risk more children with special needs and parents actually choose to send their kids there so why would anyone be really angry. I mean, we're going to get, we're going to talk with a few people in a few minutes. You're going to hear from folks in Pittsburgh. But Michael, you've been doing this a long time. You've served the charter school movement in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere. What's, what's the real deal?
1: Well, I do think they choose those dates because they have a media that will push out a, a select uh, message from the union saying these changes, these choices, these opportunities for low income families are bad and they threaten our little red room schoolhouse down at the end of the block like it's still, you know, that, that that, uh, these terrible reformers are attacking. Uh, At the end of the day, I think it's frustrating because, you know, these parents are seeking something that many people in the country have, which is a right to select something that's fundamentally better for your child. And I don't understand anyone who could argue uh, or attempt to take away uh, a right of a parent to do that you know that would be you wouldn't let anyone attempt to take away the right for you to buy a better car or a healthier food or uh, a better you know uh, House. appliance clients in your home right all of those things we have phenomenal choices for except when it comes to education and especially low-income minority families, that, my God, how could we ever leave the choice in their hands to do that? That's just fundamentally wrong. We, we can't possibly allow those people to choose a better uh, school for their child. That's just not right to do. And, and that's fundamentally why this forum is taking place. Uh, they could hide it. They could mask it in whatever title they want about justice and equity for all. In the end, it's control by them over those who want freedom and their individual freedom to select what's best for their child. So we are so happy to be able to bring the story. Michael,
0: let me uh, let me now turn to the folks on the ground who I had the pleasure of talking with just a little bit earlier today.
2: This is Brian Smith. I'm the founder and CEO of Catalyst Academy Charter School. We are a new charter school that's opening this coming fall for the 2020-21 school year. Um, eventually, we'll be kindergarten through eighth grade, but we're opening with just kindergarten and first grade. We are a um, college prep uh, model public charter school where our mission is to create a world-class K-8 school where all children are prepared for college, career, and life. And we're focused on serving uh, a specific area of Pittsburgh, what we call the underserved East End, so... Um, uh, collection neighborhoods in the east end of Pittsburgh is our focus that have um, traditionally been served by um, or not well served by their traditional uh, district schools.
0: So there are a lot of kids not served well by their traditional schools obviously their district schools you are in Pittsburgh which is kind of like ground zero this weekend as the uh, candidates for um, for Democratic presidential nominee uh, gather uh, in a forum organized largely by labor and groups that are pretty well representative of traditional districts. And there's a lot of talk, not just now, but it seems like there's a lot of talk out there about their um, their concern with charter schools. What, what do you make of that?
2: I mean, I see it from a- after coming through a uh, two-year authorization process where we were fought at every single step of the way by organized labor both locally and at the state level. Um, I see it from a political standpoint, which is divorced from the reality that the parents um, that we intend to serve and have engaged with throughout this process, they're sort of on the ground reality. So I think there's a huge disconnect between sort of political voices that are making these charges against charter schools as divorced from what the reality is for many families in the communities that we're focused on serving.
0: Why do you why do you start a charter school to start with? I mean, I know that probably sounds really elementary, but but tell people why a charter school even start in Pittsburgh. Like, why is it necessary?
2: Yeah, so uh, you know from from a achievement level perspective, when we think about like the purpose of education and why, why I um, went into this work for education is because I knew how powerful education was for changing this trajectory for myself and my family, but knew how many families don't have access to high quality education. And so, you know, if we are going to do things like eliminate income inequality and really change uh, the future, for uh, low-income families, families of color in this country, education absolutely has to be part of the solution. We know that education uh, can and should be a game changer. But unfortunately, uh, what has happened here in many parts of Pittsburgh, like many other cities across this country, is that the the district school model is not serving those families well. So it's for to give you some sense of the data, for the the neighbors that we're focused on serving, only one out of four children is reading on grade level and only one out of 10 children is doing math on grade level. And so when you look at numbers like that, you can can understand why ultimately most kids don't end up um, even entering college, let alone completing college. And so if we're essentially trapping people into a system that doesn't allow any sort of exits from it. Of course, we're gonna have entrenched poverty and cycles of poverty and a lack of opportunity. And so we absolutely must create uh, schools that are going to serve all children at really, really high levels and prepare them for the future, uh, inclusive of college and career.
0: You know, in Pennsylvania, the charter school law, like many states, was a bipartisan partnership. Uh, former Governor Tom Ridge, Rich- Ah, uh, joined hands with then state representative, now congressman, uh, Dwight Evans, the Democrat from Philadelphia, African American, who felt very badly uh, that his uh, very strongly that his his students, uh, his constituents were not well represented by Philadelphia public schools. Uh, today in Pennsylvania, we have Democratic state senator, minority whip Tony Anthony Hardy Williams, um, state representative Jordan Harris. All coming out and saying, along with lots and lots of people nationwide, why is this becoming a political issue all of a sudden? Isn't education about the kids? So, so what would you say to those who think that this is simply there's just one way of one way of doing things, and that don't think this is bipartisan anymore?
2: Yeah, I do think that that's uh, an unfortunate development. I think to your point, I think there is still uh, there is room for bipartisanship, but there is has been a lot of political pressure put on uh particularly right now democrats to move away from an empowerment agenda that that incubates schools of innovation and supports high quality schools in in the charter sector and so that is uh terribly unfortunate i think it's listening to voices that represent um a special interest group frankly that um is concerned about themselves and i don't think it's putting parents and their children front and center like uh, you know as going through this long process to get catalyst approved, um, you know we when, when you talk to parents in the communities we serve they um, they 're not talking about the politics they're not they, they are excited about an alternative school that can that can serve their children and so it just feels a little bit like night and day because you can go into certain rooms in in areas of the city where the the word charter is taboo and there's lots of um, political pushback, and it tends to come from people that aren 't worried about their own children 's education. You go to the the communities that we are focused on serving, and they 're absolutely excited about a new a new school um, coming to fruition and so it just feels again like there 's a lot of political pressure being put on. Um, Certain politicians to to sort of toe the line, and it's sort of divorced from the reality, which which is reflected in
0: parents' uh, parents wishes. Well, the prize that all the candidates are vying for is the endorsement of the national education unions, which results in money, it results in on the ground, right? Teachers can follow um, their unions, not everybody, but certainly a small vocal minority. So um, what's what what are you likely to see happen in Pittsburgh this weekend when they come are there going to be a lot of people um, trying to show them that this is not an issue that they should be picking on?
2: Yeah, I certainly um, you know would love to see lots of um, parents and they may not be invited um, to be um, you know submitting questions to the presidential candidates directly but I'm hoping that parents turn out and and make their voices heard right and so uh, I think the more and more that we can have parents turning out and putting their voices front and center, because really at any discussion of education, it should be parents that should be front and center of these conversations and driving the narrative. And so it's unfortunate that um, uh, you know that other groups, very well organized, well uh, funded teachers unions, are sort of taking the mantle that they own public education, and I don't think that's right. I think that that the ownership over this is parents because it's their ultimate responsibility to, to, uh, to, to raise their children. And so they should be, their voices should be front and center, um, not sort of uh, you know organized labor with their specific agenda.
0: So well, Brian, this is hard work. So I commend you for, for doing it and for being out there and trying to address the uh, paltry proficiency of students, uh, not just in Pittsburgh schools, but but by influence in the state and the nation. So thanks so much for uh, sharing some thoughts and joining us. Good luck with Catalyst.
2: Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you.
0: So Melanie Ward, Propel School Educator Parent in Pittsburgh area welcome uh, to reality check thank you so much for being willing to join us on the eve of a major forum uh, in pittsburgh which is focused for the presidential candidates on education normally that would be an amazing thing but we all have been hearing really really disappointing um, language and narrative that they're going to be talking about charter schools in a not so nice way so i want to help educate Uh, Not only people who are listening, but the media. So I'd love it if you would be willing to share why you teach at a charter school.
3: Well, I think that initially I was just really excited about the prospect of giving students an alternate choice and giving parents an alternate choice. Because I feel like lots of times students in impoverished areas are not given the same opportunities that other students are given in maybe areas that aren't so impoverished. And I just wanted to be a part of giving students a high quality education that would be equal to, or even better than what they may be receiving, not even just locally, but in comparison to some of your higher performing districts. So initially, I was just excited and I wanted to be a part of that. Now, after having been at Propel Youth for for 16 years, this is my 16th year teaching here, I honestly am equally as excited, but I also have seen the fruits of my labor and it's now like this driving force. I feel like I am educating students and the results are showing that my students are outperforming not only just our sending districts but other districts as well and I get excited for them. And I live in a district that isn't high performing and I love that I have the opportunity to bring my own children to this building every day. And I know that they are receiving a high-quality education. And I just feel like every day as I enter the building and the students enter the building, I know that I am doing right by them.
0: You know, a lot so of the discussion I- out there in the public, Melanie, um, that because it's, people are not well-informed about this, I don't think they're, they're bad. Um, I don't think they uh, mean any ill to kids. I think everybody wants to help our children. I think you'd probably agree. But a lot of folks go, well, you know, you could do that in another school. Like There seems to be this misunderstanding that what makes a charter school able to provide not only you with the ability to do your job, but deliver those superior results is the very flexibility that the district doesn't have. Can you talk a little bit about the kind of flexibility you have? Like what do you see yourself doing differently that you would not be able to do in a large district that's a lot more kind of controlled and centralized?
3: Well, for the past 15 years, because this is my 16th year. So for the past 15 years, I have taught standards based curriculum. I I have pulled from all kinds of resources that I've had and just created a curriculum that is driven by the needs of the students. And so I, I teach, it's very individualized or even small group, like what I do. But where we are collectively as a class each year changes what it is that I'm teaching. So the curriculum isn't the driving force, it's the students, the knowledge base that they come with and what I'm able to do with that. So the autonomy that I have to create things that suit the needs of the students, I just think far outweighs what other teachers are able to deliver through a box curriculum that I feel like is happening in other districts. And so it kind of ties your hands a little bit as an educator if the driving force is the curriculum instead of the student's
0: needs. You know, the comments you just made about how how you teach and how the students are the driving force, I love that quote. Because one would see like many, many parents who actually buy private schools. I mean, I live in the Washington DC area and the private schools mm-hmm. here are ridiculously expensive and the people who send their kids to private schools say they do so specifically because the programs at those schools are driven by the students and their needs and they are, they are personalized and if you have interest in a particular thing or you're struggling, everything changes. And, and so you're saying, which I think is really that hallmark of accountability that charter schools are about, why aren't we doing that for kids who are underserved? So, so, so public charter schools operate a lot like, even though they're accountable and public, they oper- operate a lot with the freedoms the private schools have that wealthy parents pick, right?
3: Right, right. I agree.
0: So what does it take us to get our politicians, our leading candidates to understand this? Like if you were standing right now in front of all of them and you had an opportunity to speak to them, What would you say that they need to understand that maybe is being missed in the narrative that they're getting from um, special interest groups?
3: I would probably say come to my classroom (laughs) first of all because I would love and I do enjoy letting people see what I do. Um, But I would explain that to them how the curriculum shouldn't be the driving force and that students in the districts that I'm serving come to me with so many needs that can't be met by a curriculum. And so I feel like I have an opportunity to match the need based on what it is that either data shows or sometimes it's not data, it's just being present in the lives of children makes you aware of what it is that they need. And then I am able to meet those needs. And they are not all academically driven either. They, they are, I don't know, basic human needs, basic social needs, basic foundational skills, and then curriculum. And I, I think I would just have to explain to them or want to show them, I really might wanna show them, this is what I do. This is my approach. Um, and it's not just mine. It's many of our teachers in the building and across the Propel schools. We are driven by data. However, we part of what we believe in is that the, the academics can't happen unless all of the social needs are being met, social and emotional, or even just physiological needs so we provide so much more than just a box curriculum I also feel that having an extended school day and an extended school year plays part in it too because I am present in their lives more than other teachers in other districts might be so I have like a bigger opportunity to present what it is or to meet the needs of the students as I see fit
0: and finally, Melanie, as a parent—not just as an educator, as a parent of two charter school students—I understand that I've gone through Propel Schools, and um, and then with your eye as a teacher, talking and seeing other parents, help me communicate and explain to people why the following statement um, is wrong. We hear this often. Uh, well, you know. A lot of parents don't have the ability to make those choices so we have to create the options for them or we have to make sure they understand what really works or the only parents who are really choosing to send their kids to those schools are better parents.
3: That parents from disadvantaged homes don't have parents who care? That students from disadvantaged homes don't have parents who care? Is that what you're saying?
0: That's what people say.
3: Oh wow, <laughs> yeah, I disagree with that. I feel like parents who are from disadvantaged homes care just as much and sometimes more about their student's education than or equal to. I, I don't wanna to try to put anyone else down. I just feel like over 16 years I have encountered thousands of parents who care so much about their child's education and are so grateful to have an opportunity to kind of equal the playing field for their child. I don't know that I've ever experienced, and I truly mean this, and I'm kind of like flipping through this, my mind's like Rolodex of parents that I've, been with over the years that I've worked with hand in hand, I cannot think of one parent who did not care about their child's education. I feel like they were so grateful to feel like they were in something with me and to feel like I was in something with them and that they could rely on me and my coworkers to work with them to bring those, their children to the same place that other children were already at before they even started <laughs> that, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of offended by that statement. I, I am, I'm offended by that. Um, well, I hadn't really, oh, I, 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 I guess it
0: hasn't be. been presented to me in that way, so it kind of like offends me. Yeah, Um, and you should be offended. Uh, We all are offended. We hear it. Sadly, we hear it way too often um, from people that really believe that if we don't provide for a system for education where uh, Parents have to send their kids to the local school that there just won't be quality education. And so really, as these candidates gather together in Pittsburgh and when they go to LA for the debate, people like yourself, Melanie, our colleagues in sort of the educational social justice world are going to be marching and protesting and rallying to say we and the so many students we represent deserve to be in schools that are just as good if not better than the schools you are able by your affluence and power to send your kids to. And you're right, every one of those parents can not just make a great choice for their kids, but they can oftentimes make a better choice because necessity is uh, drives that. So thank you for that perspective, and I'm so grateful that you don't hear that often, um, uh, and you're allowed to focus on on your mission and the kids at uh, at Propel Schools.
3: Right, right. I'm grateful for that too because I, I don't. I mean, I'm not saying that that doesn't exist, but maybe it's because I've been here and I'm so established, like, in this community that I, I just haven't been exposed to, to those comments that, like, parents in these, the areas that we're servicing don't care about their kids. I, I just, that's offensive. It is. I, oh my, I think we should be marching.
0: (laughs) Yes, we should. Wow. Well, and the other day, uh, you know, again, not to make this political, it's become political and we're trying to say it shouldn't be. And I'd love nothing better than a candidate to get up this, you know, in Pittsburgh on Saturday and say, oh my gosh, I think we've been wrong. Let's embrace our our friends and colleagues that are running innovative schools and charter schools and homeschools and private schools and wherever it is kids kids go, um, and I don't know that'll happen, but I'll be the first to cheer and tweet, but um, more of us were even more offended uh, this last week when we saw an interview with uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren in which she told her hosts, I think it was the NEA was hosting a podcast, she said, "Um, well, people are really upset about their schools. They should go help their schools get better. As if all of us are just gonna take up politics tomorrow and challenge it as, by the way, as if that's mattered, There's, there has been decades, of course, of parents who have tried to make their schools better. Hard to make a school better when you have no power to make a change in a bureaucracy or with that curriculum you said, or maybe the school just doesn't fit your child for whatever reason. Um, and so uh, we do need to stand up, rise up. There are millions of people like you. When I think about uh, just educators alone, Melanie, that you represent, uh, third grade like you teach, and every grade, if, if you all were to band together um, the millions there are, maybe uh, we would be able to finally um, quiet, I'm saying it nicely, the forces that are these <laughs> life-saving schools. And I do feel like that. I feel
3: like when children walk through these doors and into these hallways, we are making changes, like in some instances, 100% saving lives. And when my students who are in college now come back to visit me, and it happens all the time, it, I just feel like we are making such a difference that I don't know, to, I can't imagine a time where. I just can't imagine it not being here, not being able to, like for them to take this away from the children, I just can't fathom it. I really can't. And I don't understand, I guess, why people would be even against charter schools. Like come and see what I'm doing. Like if if we're really talking real talk talk about making things better, then it shouldn't be take away the charter schools. It should be let everybody make it better. And if what I'm doing is better than what you're doing, instead of backing down from that, come and see what I'm doing before you bash what I'm doing. Because obviously what I'm doing is working. So I, I don't know. I, just, I think it would be a very dark time where we take away that choice. I mean, instead, we should be encouraged that, people are making a difference. And if you wanna be one of the ones to make a difference, then come and find out how. I, I just, I don't understand why we're so afraid of, it's not even, well, I guess it is change. Maybe people are just afraid of change, but I feel like change needs to happen and we are over here making a change.
0: Absolutely, and and what you are saying, and the and the proof is in the pudding. Your experience, your success, what you've seen, what you've heard, and frankly, your indignation um, is is just worth so much to so many people because um, there there is absolutely no rational reason that anyone want would want to dial back the clock to a time where people were stuck. Um, wherever they were, regardless of their needs, challenges, and exceptionality. So Melanie Ward, uh, educator extraordinaire, clearly uh, for Propel Schools, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you
3: for having me.
0: We were just talking with Melanie Ward, a third grade ELA and social studies teacher at Propel Schools. You know, Propel was one of the pioneering charter school networks in Pittsburgh. And she was stunned, David, that people actually say, I think she was just astonished and quite frankly I made her a little speechless, that people say that parents, particularly poor parents, can't make choices. And she's never heard that, which I was grateful for. But you hear that a lot in Philadelphia, don't you?
4: Well, you hear it from, from not from the parents, but from people who want to make the choices for them. Uh, this is, it, it, it's insane to believe that somebody else is gonna make better decisions about your child than you. I mean, <laughs> that's your child. You raise them, you know them, you know their faults, you know their, their blessings. And you're the person who, who is best equipped to make a school decision. And that doesn't take money to be able to make a good decision. You look at what's out there and you pick what you think is best for your child.
0: And you know that by experience because you founded one of the most successful charter schools, I'd say not just in Philadelphia, but the nation, Boys Latin. And uh, you're the founder. You now have a successor that's leading the schools. You run an organization, Excellent Schools PA, that is devoted to helping parents understand and realize their ambitions for their kids. I remember when you were starting the school, you had a lot of people, including the school board, saying, oh, why would people go to a boy's Latin? Why would all these parents from poor inner city Philadelphia think that was a good idea? Am I correct in saying that?
4: Yes. And, and it was funny because a lot of those same people had their children in single gender schools. A lot of those people went to single gender schools. Um, and it was okay for them, it was okay for their children, but when uh, you make an option that looks like it might, it might hurt the traditional public school system, not traditional public schools, but the system, People reject that. They oppose that because the system is supposed. To, the system is supposed to be what we're all trying to uphold. Not individual schools. There can be horrible schools in the system. That's okay as long as the system's um, working. And that that really doesn't work for a lot of parents. In fact, it puts a lot of children in a position where they have absolutely no opportunity. So the whole system mentality is something that we have to break down immediately.
0: And is that, do you think what's at the heart of this, uh, group, this gathering in Pittsburgh this weekend, December 14th, uh, where the unions and, um, so-called education defenders of the system are gathering, you know, what, what's really going on there? Well,
4: you know, it's interesting. Um, this this thing, and you know this 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 pushback against charter schools has been going on for a while now. But it when it seeped into the democratic debates, when people who were who were sitting watching these candidates trying to figure out which one of these candidates do I really want to vote for, and they're a charter school leader or a charter school parent. And then they say, see people like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders attack charter schools. You know, they're wondering, who's looking out for me? If I don't step up, if I don't say something myself, none of these people are going to look out for me. And I mean, this is pretty interesting. You've never seen parents uh, picketing or demonstrating at a Democratic debate before. I've never, I've never seen that. And, and I watched these things for a lot of years. This is, this is uh, very uh, organic. This is, this is a real uh, grassroots kind of thing. Uh, these people in Pittsburgh are all just, they, they didn't know each other about four weeks ago. This is a group who, who band together because they had a common threat. And the threat is the educational option that their children had. And, and in uh, Atlanta, uh, Elizabeth Warren saw the power of parents. When 200 parents came to her event, and they were very demanding. And when she had a chance to talk to them, she couldn't even tell them the truth. So, I mean, this is this this is something that the, the groundswell. It's hitting Pittsburgh this Saturday. It'll be in L. A. next week. This is real. This is a real uh, response to people not respecting the right of parents to make a choice.
0: And I think there were actually people astonished. If if, if you haven't seen the videos, you have to see the video. Go to edreform.com, education, the election page, and you can see this video. David, I think people were astonished when she agreed to see uh, Howard Fuller, our colleague, former superintendent of Milwaukee Public Schools, civil rights activist, huge education choice supporter, and a woman named Lady Ten, who leads a grassroots mm-hmm. organization out of Tennessee, they- Sarah Carpenter. Sarah Carpenter, that's right, is Lady10 yep. on Twitter. Yep. And I yep. think we were shocked that when they asked her, Elizabeth Warren, to listen to them and reconsider, she was pretty arrogant. Isn't that the way you describe it? Oh, yeah, because Elizabeth Warren kind of believes that we're
4: all waiting to get our marching orders for her. <laughs> she tells parents what they should think about their school without knowing what school their children go to. Look, she could have made that same speech in certain, na- certain communities in Pennsylvania, and they would go, yeah, you just go to your school and tell them what's wrong, and they respond because there are some school districts like that, wealthy school districts. Low-income urban school districts and low-income neighborhoods, they're not quite as responsive to people coming up to the school and asking, how can I get involved? They don't even want you involved. They just want you to support what they want to do. And and it's a a, uh, monarchy in most neighborhood public schools in urban areas where the school tells the the, the parents what their child's going to learn how much, how much resources are going to be available, and where they have to be. And, you know, there's no choice in that. And, and that's horrible. And, and so you, know, you get a, a person like Elizabeth Warren, she's used to talking to the people in the suburban wealthy neighborhood. When she got in front of some real people, she saw that that, that line didn't work very well because that's not the life those people live.
0: Yeah, it sounds like she and her $2 million corporate contract she got last year a little bit out of touch. And I say that um, knowing exactly that it sounds really uh, smarmy, but it's very aggravating. And there are people from your group and from the groups that are rallying elsewhere. That are using words like disgusting, revolting. They just cannot believe she's treating low income parents the way she is. David, are there going to be any breakout candidates you think that finally realize and stand up and say, oh, I really like charters. I should have said so earlier. Or, I really want to help parents. Or this is all going to be about same old, same old. We want more money, free college, yada, yada, yada.
4: Well, I am, um, you know, the person who was really positioned to do this was Corey Booker and he spent the first part of this uh, campaign denying his connections with charter schools and with school choice.
0: And then um, the cock the crowed.
4: That's right, that's right. And then, and, you know, now that he's found religion, it might be too late. I don't know, I, did he make this debate? I'm not even sure, he. Made, I don't think he made this debate. He didn't have enough uh, poll, he didn't have high enough poll numbers um, and enough um, con- contributions. So, I mean, he may be out. You know, if you look at Pennsylvania, um, there's 143,000 children in Pennsylvania charter schools. So uh, Trump won Pennsylvania by 62,000 votes. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of people to turn an election. You look at Michigan, Trump won by 11,000 votes. There's like 170,000 charter school students. And then uh, Wisconsin, uh, he won by about 28,000, there's about 48,000 charter school kids. This is something that could turn an election. I'm not saying vote for anybody, but I'm saying that if you're against charter schools in a tight election, you might have created the margin that defeats
0: you. Our friend, uh, and I say friend, in Florida, the governor, Ron DeSantis, who yep. supported all the choices of the thousands of parents, private and public charter and district charter, mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. won because those parents got out and voted.
4: Yeah, he, he, you know, he won that election by 50, I think it was like 55, 58,000 votes. And he got about 120,000 votes of people who typically wouldn't have voted for him but they voted their interest, and that's what took down his, his uh, uh, opposition. And people need to pay attention to that. You know, most people will tell you a presidential election won't turn on, on the issue of education. But in close elections like we're having now, any issue can get you. And this is one where people are very passionate. I think people better pay attention to that.
0: Well, I think there's nothing better at all than to have education as one of the key issues being debated in a presidential election year. You know, we have all fought for so long to get up there with, you know, budget and and the economy and health care and, you know, global warming and all this other stuff and education not only is topping the list of voter issues but uh you've got the president who held a school choice forum earlier this week at the white house you have these Mm -hmm. candidates actually feel like there must be something that their pollsters are telling them having a forum and um it's uh i've never seen education reporters more popular in my life so i think this is just good for information but it's only going to be good if we get good information out there and so i thank you for what you're doing traveling around the country what you're doing in pennsylvania where charter schools Are superior no matter what you read, and where parents really understand uh, their voice and their choice. So keep it up, David, and thank you for joining me today.
4: It's a pleasure. Take care.
0: You know, it's. it is shocking Uh, and then again we've got to remember that it took uh, over 150 years to create the system we have and so I guess being in this for about 30 years it's not bad progress we've made over 3 million students just this year alone which means over time um, you know tens of millions of students have gone through charters uh, millions of teachers have taught them parents have made choices And you know, it's not just us sitting in our, um, you know, our advocacy world and our research world. We talk to people every day, right? Um, Real live people and the people are going with their feet, but let's talk about all the celebrities and the sports people um in pennsylvania like i read this tweet by meek mill some of you know who meek mill was i didn't my son had to tell me uh who said basically that he wants to take over the 30 abandoned school buildings in philadelphia that aren't doing anything for anyone that are waste and uh, eyesore and uh, open a charter school network so he's one
1: andre agassi you look at andre agassi's story where uh he Felt that he missed out on his chance for education in life because he was pushed into the world of competitive tennis, and then when he got old enough, he turned around, looked at it and said, what best could I do with all of these things that I've gained in my life? And he started charter schools. Um, You know, uh, John Legend, John Legend. John Legends, of the Public head.
0: He's on the board of uh, Harlem Village Academies in New York. Has played at every benefit. Also at those benefits is Hugh Jackman, former Today Show co-host. Katie Couric. This isn't just like their opera where they think, oh, isn't this nice? We're gonna go hug a bunch of children. They're like in it,
1: and they and they support it. Who else? Um, and I don't know why I'm forgetting this because it's the only music uh, that my daughter, son, and I can all agree upon to leave on in the car when it comes on uh, from Florida. Pitbull. Uh, Pitbull. Absolutely.
0: Pitbull helped start SLAM, the um, Sports Leadership and Management Charter School in Miami. Uh, in fact, in fact, his, his school and the schools that are also operating under that uh, network of schools, uh, Somerset and Academica, um, are now graduating students who are coming back and teaching in their schools. They give the kids an associate's degree. It's a fascinating story um kevin jackson uh no kevin johnson kevin excuse johnson. me yep. now mayor for a mayor of sacramento, sacramento nba player Jalen Phoenix rose
1: yep.
0: right feeling sense. i mean the, the list goes on and on of people out there
1: let's talk about the other side though and our dear friend susan sarandon i've loved some of her performances in movies i'm not going to argue that she's not a great actress but she's getting a little confused on the way down the road in atlanta when she bumped into Howard Fuller, <laughs> who uh, decided to explain to her what exactly the truth was, because she seemed to be missing the point.
0: And apparently, when I asked Howard how her response was, he said she was just kind of looked dumbfounded, and um, then didn't pay much attention. She was there for Bernie
1: Sanders. Yeah, it's a pickle. Well, I think I think when you get the unvarnished, blunt truth delivered to you straight to your face uh, in anything, and you know you've been caught by what the truth is, that's what fundamentally happens. Yeah. You're left dumbfounded. Now, I will tell you that if Howard Fuller delivered the blunt truth to me, head on. <laughs> I'd be dumbfounded too. I'd probably yes. wanna wet myself. He's been with <laughs> us on
0: the show and he's a pretty forceful forceful person. And you know, uh, you know we have um, worked hand in glove with Um, some of the best Democrats in the world on this issue. I mean, Joe Lieberman, when he was in the U.S. Senate, he helped create the the scholarship program in D.C. was, you know, was critical to the charter school program. Tom Carper as governor and then the U.S. Senate. Joe Biden as a senator. Joe, what happened to you? We miss you.
1: Um,
0: You were really, really good
1: on this issue. Senator Dianne Feinstein, huge supporter of, not not necessarily charters, but uh voucher programs especially voucher here in programs. washington dc the uh she is the um one of the biggest champions of the opportunity scholarship program which uh, allows uh right now about 1700 district of columbia families to take a federal voucher to select and escape failing schools specifically in wards 5 7 and 8 which are the uh the most economic downtrodden areas of our capital city.
0: And frankly, uh, the members of the Obama administration education department were some of the more uh, vociferous supporters of educational choice, even even than a lot of their predecessors in the Bush administration, believe it or not. These guys fought for it. We fought them and they fought for it. And when they came around, they were willing to really support. Now they weren't always as vocal as we would have liked to be because they had to deal with um, their unions in that plank. But um, Arnie Duncan still to this day talks about schools. And, you know, Waiting for Superman was authored by someone who you wouldn't call conservative. So this is not a political issue. Sadly, it's become political. And I feel so bad for those people on the ground, Michael Musanti, my dear co host today who have to wake up and they're actually being attacked. I mean, We feel angry and bad. Imagine being one of those charter school people who wake up every day. And they could be on Wall Street, they could be a nurse, they could be home taking care of their own kids, but probably neglecting them because they show up at school 12 hours a day to take care of people and um, and they're being told that they are doing something
1: wrong. Well, I'll I'll go personal on this because my father is from Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. He's passed. Now, but he grew up and um, all of those areas. uh, I grew up just outside of downtown Pittsburgh, about 30 minutes west. It is middle class, it is blue collar, it is hardworking. It is people who want to make a difference in the world and they, they go out to do jobs. And for someone to attack you for wanting to do a job at a public charter school, educating children who don't probably have a whole lot else in the way of positive things going on in their life with you know the, the situations that they may have been born into. And so many of these parents want something better and to be able to find a school and then that school be filled with dedicated professionals who understand that they are unlocking the door to a future that these children might not have. And then to have Quite frankly, very arrogant, and and um, well, we'll just stick with arrogant people who think that they know better uh, and that they're going to call into question the the dedicated choice that they made as a profession. Uh, it's just it's just insulting to me, uh, having come from that area of the country and knowing the people there. Um, but I will tell you that they're running into uh, something that they don't know because those are very strong people um i know it it sounds cliche but pittsburgh was a steel town these folks have steel in their blood (laughs) and they will fight uh they will fight these attitudes they will fight these people and they will not go silent and just allow their livelihoods to be attacked by people who quite frankly probably have never been in a charter school in their life
0: Well, we will make sure their voices are heard. We are actually sitting in the new Big Wig Studios in Washington, D.C., where CER has a new perch. And so this is a, a studio that is dedicated to getting the word out and past the noise of the traditional media. Thanks for listening to this edition of Reality Check. You can subscribe to Reality Check at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in and never miss an episode. Visit us online at edreform.com and follow CER on Twitter at edreform and me, Jeannie Allen. I look forward to exploring the world of education with you and another prominent guest next time. See you then!